This morning we're going to talk about greed, or as it is otherwise known in the Christian tradition as avarice. This is our deadly sin of the week as we continue our Lenten journey of exploring the seven deadly sins. So just to start off, I want to share some of the temptations that I faced this week as I sat down to write a sermon about greed. The first temptation was just to use a lot of statistics. You know, statistics about how, you know, the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer and there is no end in sight to these trends. Statistics about what percentage of our children in America live in poverty today versus 50 years ago. Statistics about how the tiniest uh, portion of the population owns and controls the vast majority of wealth. Statistics about the staggering sums of consumer debt that most Americans carry. Statistics like that. But the problem with statistics is that if you're anything like me, they usually just make our eyes glaze over. So I decided this morning to resist this temptation and to lay off the statistics. The second temptation as I sat down this week to think about greed was to share examples of greed that we have heard on the news. We could talk about Enron or Bernie Madoff or, you know, the stories of people getting trampled to death on Black Friday under the feet of those looking for a good deal on a TV. There are countless examples on the news every day of outlandish greed. But I think the problem with a, a headlines approach is that it can easily lead to an us versus them mentality. They, the ones in the examples, they are the ones with the greed issues, not us. So as tempting and juicy as some of these headlines might be, I will resist. The third temptation for uh, me sitting down this week to think about greed was to include a lot of jokes. Because who doesn't love a sermon with some great jokes? And it turns out the internet is brimming with these great jokes all about greed and money. But in the interest of using our time to actually say something meaningful, I'm only going to tell one joke. So when talking about money and greed and possessions, we've all heard the saying, you can't take it with you. You've heard that before, right? You can't take it with you. Well, once there was this greedy old man, and unfortunately he had been diagnosed with a, a terminal illness, but he was determined to prove wrong the saying, you can't take it with you. And so after much thought and consideration, he came up with this amazing plan. He figured out how to take at least some of his money with him when he died. He instructed his wife to go to the bank and to withdraw enough money, enough cash to fill two pillowcases just stuffed with cash. Then he directed her to take those pillowcases up to the attic and set them in the attic right above where his bed lay in the bedroom below. 
Satan's plan was this. When he died in bed, he would just reach out and grab those pillowcases on his way up to heaven. So several weeks after the funeral, his wife went up to the attic to clean, and she came upon the two pillowcases that were stuffed with cash. She said, oh, that darned old fool. I told him he should have had me put that money in the basement. (laughs) So this morning, with no statistics, with no headlines, and with only one bad joke, how do we talk about grief? How do we approach this topic of greed? The first thing that I'd like to say about greed or avarice is this. Greed takes what is a basic human impulse or instinct and distorts it, twists it, renders it unrecognizable. In the case of greed, this basic instinct is for security. And not one person here can or should be faulted for wanting security. To know that you will be clothed, that you have a meal to eat, that you have a safe place to lay your head at night. To know that you will have these things even beyond your so-called productive years. This is part of what it means to be human. To have these needs and to try and meet them. It's, It's natural. But greed, on the other hand, takes this natural human instinct, this basic instinct, and it inflates it and it twists it so that we think we need all sorts of things that turn out to be unnecessary or potentially even harmful to us or to others. And this is the way that we know that something is sin because it results in cutting us off, cutting us off from recognizing the presence of God, cutting us off from other people, cutting us off from recognizing that our human calling is to be in community. Greed, as does all sin, cuts us off. Jesus tells a well-known parable about greed in today's gospel lesson. Let's look at it together. This is from Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he, Jesus, said to him, Friend, who set me to be a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And then he told them a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly. And he thought to himself, what should I do, for I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you. 
and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich toward God. So I think we've all have heard this parable before. But I think the most compelling words in the story are the words that Jesus uses to introduce the parable. He says, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist of the abundance of possessions. A life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Collections of things, of stuff, do not a life make. Whether those things are our savings accounts or our cherished gadgets or our cars or our homes, these things do not a life make. I love how Marjorie Thompson puts it. She says, we know there is a vacuum inside of us that will suck up an infinite supply of thrills, goods, and successes without satisfying the human heart. The point of the parable this morning is that building bigger barns, storing up more and more, will not get us where we think it will. Building bigger barns, or, or barn building, as I call it, is a preoccupation with storing up whatever currency we trust. It may be money. It may be achievements. It may be successful children, great health, it could be our house. If we have plenty of whatever trusted treasure that we collect and store up, we can delude ourselves into thinking that life is secure. Barn building is a quantitative approach that foolishly measures life by what we've collected. It doesn't really matter what you store up or how much you have you'll soon be consumed with anxiety about not having enough. There is never enough success. There is never enough money. Friends are never available enough. Children can never get close enough to perfection. And no matter how careful we are with our health, we will all at some point lose it. And so barn building is just another way of describing greed. That's why I titled this morning's sermon, The Disease of More. Because when our thoughts and our actions are oriented toward the pursuit of wealth and the pursuit of possessions, we are in danger of succumbing to this disease, this disease of more. A disease that tells us that we never have enough, that we must direct all our energies and all our passions to secure more money, more stuff. It's the disease that promises that elusive happiness or security. If we can just get that new thing, or if we can just make a little bit more money this week. So all of this leads to the question, well, what does make a life? What will satisfy the human heart? What do we do? Where do we go? Jesus' words ring in our ears. One's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. So where is life? 
the economy of Jesus, one's life consists in the things that are given away. The antidote to greed is a practice of gratitude and a practice of generosity. Because greed is a perversion of the God-given instinct for security. Greed separates my welfare from that of others. It presupposes that it's every man or woman for themselves. Greed is the opposite of the way that God intended us to live, which is in community. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. It's not about just getting more of what you want. It's about this. It's about being grateful for what you've got. Even beyond that, being willing to give what you've got away for the sake of God's kingdom. I invite you to spend some time this week looking at our church's website or really looking closely at the first news email that is sent out on Friday of each week. For they list many of the missions and ministries of this congregation. The barn builder, like the man in our parable, the barn builder will hear about these ministries and will say, well, those do sound like some nice programs. Let me go get a few trinkets from my very full barn to give to the church. But that is hardly a true investment of one's heart into the work of God. The younger barn builder who, whose barn is only half full will say, well, I'm just getting started in life. As soon as my barn is full, then I'll be able to be generous. Surely God understands. But God says to the rich man, you fool. This day your life is demanded from you. We live with the stark truth that we can never know what tomorrow might bring. There are no guarantees. This day, this moment, is what we have, what we have been given. This day is our opportunity to invest our lives in things that make an eternity of difference. And the way that we do that is that we open our hands. We take whatever it is that we hold on to the tightest and we place it in God's hands. Then we are promised that the most miraculous, amazing things can happen. In the hands of God, a slingshot can kill a giant. A shepherd's staff can part the Red Sea. A hundred-year-old man can have a promised son. In the hands of God, fishermen become fishers of people. An angry persecutor becomes a joyful Apostle, and a few loaves and fish can feed 5,000 people. In the hands of God, treasure on earth can become treasure in heaven. And so it all depends on where we put our trust, which is another way of saying where we give our heart. God has already given us his heart. 
do we give him ours? Have we given God our hearts? Have we placed our trust in him? I invite you this morning just to think about for a minute the things that you are holding on to, that you clutch at very tightly, the things that you have counted on for so long, your treasures. And think about what it would look like for you to place that thing, those things, into God's hands. You can't say, it's impossible to say, well, God has my heart, but unfortunately all my treasure is going to my bills. No. Jesus says, where our treasure is, there our heart will follow. Why would we let our hearts be nibbled away by accumulating more and more bills for things that we cannot keep. We all have a choice in how our life is spent. Will our lives be marked by greed, by the disease of more, by the endless pursuit of treasures that have no eternal value? Or will our lives be marked by generosity, by giving away more than what is comfortable, by learning to be satisfied with simplicity, by holding lightly our possessions and placing all that we have in God's hands. When we stand before God and are asked to give an account of our lives, what story will be told? What story will be told on that day? think God will be more pleased with what we've managed to store up, to accumulate, or by what we gave away, by what we shared with others. For you and for me, it is not too late to rewrite our stories or to begin a new chapter. Each one of us has room to grow in our capacity to be generous with our money, with our time and our talents, with our love for others. The antidote to the disease of more is available to each of us. We must first look to Jesus, whose treasure was his relationship with his Father, and whose delight was in manifesting God's love through acts of generosity and hospitality and compassion. Pursuing, being preoccupied by, by accumulating treasures that are fleeting, that never seem to fill those cravings deep within. You don't have to be caught up in the rat race. You don't have to keep up with the Joneses. There is another path. There is a path toward true wholeness, the path toward true purpose a path that satisfies our deepest hunger and that offers us abundant life. A path that looks at each day as a gift, an opportunity to practice generosity, radical generosity in our families, in our schools, in our workplaces, in our communities. May we each seek God's grace to walk this path of faith and
each aware of those things that we treasure, that hold no eternal value, things that we hold on to tightly because we believe in some way that they are our security. Lord, give us each the courage to trust, to loosen our grip, and to be willing to hand over everything, everything of our lives, all of our treasures, our very selves, into your hands. Lord, give us the courage and trust to know that that is life at its fullest, that abundant life, that deep satisfaction will come once we have taken that step of faith and trust. Guide each of us as we take the next step on this journey. We thank you for your love and for your generosity shown to us in the sending of your Son, Jesus Christ, who we worship this day. Speed. 